0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good morning. It's good to see you out today. God bless all of you. We're delighted you're here. Great opportunity to praise the Lord together. If you need a Bible, once you get your hands up and our ushers will glad you, gladly get you one. We will begin in the book of Lamentations chapter 3 and you say, where is that? That's right after Jeremiah and in between Ezekiel, so we 'll go to Lamentations three, then we'll go back to psalm twenty three as we go on here this morning. I want to encourage all of you, remember this thought right here today it's not how we begin it's but how we end, and regardless how you've begin this thing called life, if you've made a lot of mistakes, if you've got a lot of sin in your life, it's not over, okay God's still on the throne and God will will touch your hearts today. So let's just dig right on in here to the word of God and get going here. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions, they fail not. Now, Jeremiah here consoles himself with God's mercy As he gazes at the rubble in a land or a nation that's under incredible judgment. And as he's looking at all the the rubble in his life, this is what he's saying. He says in verse 23, they are new every morning. You know why God's mercies are new every morning? Because we use them all up yesterday. And thank God that his mercies are new each day. And he ends in verse 23 and he says, great is your faithfulness. Now, the word for mercy here may be one of the most essential words in all the Old Testament because it describes the character of God. He is the God of mercy. And turn with me back to Psalm 23, and we will hit our main text for the last few weeks. Psalm 23, I I encourage you to get this in your heart and begin to, to recite this and pray this every day if you can We'll start here in verse 6. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I believe this man that was referred to here as King David, he's reflecting on his life, and as he looks back on his life, he's literally saying, I thank God that God's goodness and his mercy followed me all the days of his life. And when we talk about goodness and mercy, goodness is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And when you look at King David's life, he becomes an example to every one of us because King David had a lot of shortcomings. He had sin in his life. And and oftentimes, when you read about King David, that the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart and likeness, you look and say, now, how can this man right here, who had all these shortcomings and he had sin in his life, how could he be used by God so much? See, the word for goodness and mercy in the Hebrew is the word that we get for grace in the New Testament. That it was all God's grace and David knew that. And so as he's going through his life and he looks back he says. Surely God your goodness and mercy have been with me all the days of my life. And I'll live and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what he's saying there as my life goes on. As long as I'm on this earth I'm going to live and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But he's even saying for eternity. If I'm alive, I'm going to serve him. But when I die, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord forever. And so this passage right here, I want it to produce hope in every one of us. Where we begin to understand today, the grace of God. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And as you're turning there, when I talk about the word grace... Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is an undeserved blessing. Grace is a free gift. Grace is a God-given resource that makes holy living possible. Grace is an empowerment for every one of us. Actually, grace facilitates us. It enables us. Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, having been justified or acquitted or made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we get born again and Jesus becomes Lord of our life, some things just begin to happen that right there at that moment that you receive Jesus as Lord of your life, you've been accepted. You've been, regardless of your past, It's like the Lord Jesus says, welcome to the family. Verse 2, through whom also we have access or we can enter by faith into his grace. Now, to help us with these verses here, how do you receive Jesus as Lord of your life? You receive Jesus by faith. Remember, you believe with the heart and you confess with the mouth. And then he says here in in verse 2, That we have access by faith into His grace. So the same way that we receive Jesus as Lord of our life is the same way we receive grace. And so what does this grace do? Well, he goes on to say, in which we stand. In which we can stand. We can stand in this life by the grace of God and rejoice in hope of the glory of our God. Now, uh, the grace he's talking about here again, it's unmerited favor, it's unconditional acceptance. And it, it brings believers to a place of genuine freedom. Again, with grace. I can't earn it, and I don't deserve it, but I can't live without it. Same chapter, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, which was talking about Adam. Now if you go back into Genesis there, when Adam sinned, every one of us that are born into earth, we're born with with sin in our bloodline. Actually, sin is our nature. How many of you in here had to be taught how to sin? I, I never went to one class on Cussing 101. I never had to be taught about how to use the Lord's name in vain. I never went to a class on how to steal and any of those things. So when we get born again, when we get born onto this earth, we have sin in us naturally. We gravitate towards sin. This is what this is talking about. But he goes on to say, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace. Now note that word receive. It doesn't say earn. You're not going to earn grace by being good. You just receive grace the same way you receive salvation. And so we, we will much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So one of the ways we begin to reign in life is this thing called grace. It begins to empower me. And so just as I enter this earth through a sin in my bloodline, when I receive Jesus as Lord of my life, now I'm qualified as righteous just because of what Jesus did. Nothing with what I did. But I receive that. That's the same way that I receive grace. That he says, if you can receive grace, then just begin to welcome it. Verse 19, same chapter. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that defense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. How I many you have ever had problems with sin in your life? I have. I'd had sin dominate me in areas of my life. And it's interesting, he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, remember, one of the definitions of grace is an empowerment. So the empowerment or the grace of God, it helps me. It helps me to overcome sin in my life. And he ends in verse 21 and says, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace may reign through the righteousness to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what happens in this life? We're either going to rule by grace or we're going to be ruled by our sin nature. Chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now many of you have probably heard in the last few years, there's many teachings that go on that says stuff like this. You need to sin more and more and more just to prove the grace of God. Look at the last part or into verse number 2. And I want you to see the Apostle Paul's comment here. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, certainly not. Certainly not. The idea of a Christian Christian continuing sin is entirely contrary to the word of God. Shall we continually to sin that grace may abound? Surely not. Why does this say this? Understand this, that for every one of us, sin is destructive. In, in Romans 6, 23, it says, the, the wages of sin is death. So, grace is not an empowerment to let me sin more and more. Grace is an empowerment that keeps me from sinning. A lot of people say, grace is a license for you to sin. Well, I didn't need a license to sin. I did well enough without a license. Grace is an empowerment to help me, to insist me, to keep me from sinning. Romans 6, look at verse 14 here. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. So this tells me right here that this thing called grace will help me where sin no longer dominates me. Now I want you to go to the book of James, chapter number 4. And we're going to watch how grace plays out in this. James chapter 4. You know the apostle Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, His grace is sufficient even in my weakness. Do any of you in here have some weaknesses in your life today? I believe all of us do. But it's interesting. He said, my grace is sufficient. James chapter 4. As you're turning there, how many of you have ever tried to do something in life about something that you couldn't do anything about? In other words, you kept trying to fix things that you didn't have the ability or the power to fix. Anytime I've tried to do those things in my life... It brings frustration to my life. So here's where we're at. It's the difference between trying and trusting. I can try and I can try and I can try out of my own powers and my own abilities, but I fail. And the more I fail, the more frustrated I get. Or I can begin to trust Father God and I can begin to trust that God's grace is sufficient for my life. And I say, okay, Lord, if your grace is sufficient, I welcome it. Help me in these areas. James chapter 4, verse number 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So what he begins to tell us, with every one of us in here, it's like a tugger war that's going on on the inside of us. There's wars that are happening on all all, all times in our lives. And, And when you get born again... You want to do what's right. You want to please God. But your flesh is still there. And, and this tug of war keeps happening. When, and listen guys, holiness is is not a work of your flesh. Holiness is a result of God's grace working in you. Now the Apostle Paul said this in Romans 7. He said, the thing that I, I want to do, I don't do. But the thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. I've been there. I have been there. This, this verse right here is, is me. Actually, it's all of us in this room to a T. There's a battle that's going on the inside of us. Verse two. You lust, you burn with envy and you still don't have. You murder even in your heart and you covet, but you cannot contain, obtain. You fight and you war. And so again, there's this thing that churns on the inside of us human beings. And we want to do what's right in God's eyes. And we're trying and we're trying and we're trying. But we never seem to be able to arrive. So we'll go around anybody that will listen to us and will complain. And when they don't listen to us, then we say, you know what? I'm going to figure this out on my own. i got a thought. This is what I'm going to do. You want to see the greatest problem with every one of us as human beings? Look at the last part of verse 2. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. What a statement. You do not have because you're not willing or you're not humble enough to ask. And so in our brilliance as human beings, we have the thought, I can figure everything out. I don't need any help. I will not ask. Verse 3. Now, you ask and you do not receive, or you fail because you ask amiss, or we ask for the wrong motive. We're asking things that we're not ready to receive yet, and he ends here in verse 3, and look what he says. That you may spend it on your own pleasures. Now, here's what happens a lot of times, because every one of us in this room have gone before God before, and we've asked him thanks. And things didn't happen on our timetable. And we get mad and we stomp our foot. And we look up and say, God, aren't you hearing my prayers? Haven't you heard my prayers? Listen, God doesn't tick to our clock. God operates on a totally different clock than us. And just because you haven't received the things you've asked for yet doesn't mean God's not wanting to bless you with them. You know what happens most of the time with every one of us in this room? When we start asking things, before God can grant us the things we're asking, He's got to do an inner work on the inside of us. In other words, He starts breathing and birthing some character in us. And He starts helping us. And He starts preparing us for things that we will receive from Him. See, many times if we receive things immediately as we ask God most human beings would backslide. We would quit serving God. We got what I wanted, and so to a degree, when I treat God like a sugar daddy, God's not well pleased with that. So understand this right now. Just because you haven't received yet doesn't mean God's not going to answer your prayers. Let me just throw this in here. This happened in the first service. Uh, Larica Jones, she, she prays with me almost every Tuesday night. Before Christmas, Larica became very, very frustrated. She was trying to get into grad school. She was making phone calls. She was doing everything she can. And she looked at me one night at Tuesday night prayer and said, I do not understand why God's not helping me get into this. And I looked at her and I said, God's got a plan. God's got a timing plan. Now, when I say that right there, it's very easy for me to look at Jim and Karen and say, listen, God's got a plan. But when I go and ask, sometimes I get frustrated and say, Lord, I need this to answer right now. And if you said to me, well, God's got a plan, I may look at you and it may irritate me. Well, that's kind of how she looked at me that night like, Pastor, I don't want to hear that. And I just kept reiterating, trust God. Trust God here. You just trust God. After the first service, she came up. This was about an hour ago. I'm getting better with people hugging me. She puts her arms out and she comes running at me like she's getting ready to tackle me. And I'm thinking, what do I do here, Lord? Pastor, I got accepted to grad school yesterday. And she said, God is so good. He is good. Good. And I'm not going to keep singing for you, okay? Oh, he's so good. And so again, when we look at this, understand, just because it didn't happen, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. God is making you ripe, okay? You're still a little bit green. You need a little more sunshine. Verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Interesting two words. Adulterers and adulteresses. So what's your first thought? That would be somebody that's unfaithful. In our modern terminology, we'd say, that is a cheater. Now this is in the Bible here. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So when you look at this right here, he's saying, do not have an illicit love affair with the world. When he says right here and uses the word world, the world refers to the world's systems. The mindsets of the world. The philosophies of the world. The values of the world. And understand this, they they run contrary to the will of God. Now you know what the world will tell you? You can't follow the things of God to get the things of the world. This is big in our society right now. This is huge. That many people would rather listen to the mindsets and the philosophies of the world than of the Bible or the Word of God. Now this is for every one of us in here. Right here while you're sitting here. Who do you choose to listen to? Do you base all your decisions on the wisdom of a man or the Word of God? I'm telling you, I choose the Word of God. I want to live by the Word of God. I don't want to have an illicit love affair with the world. Now, understand also today that when you choose to live by the Word of God, God eats it up and God honors it. But you're going to be hated and you're going to be disliked by the world. And you can probably see right now in the United States of America... There has been an incredible line drawn right now, unlike any other time that I've seen, that if you name yourself as a follower of Jesus, or Jesus is Lord of my life, they'll come after you. They came after Jesus. we got to get this on the inside. I want to live for God. I want to live by the Word of God. I want to live to please Him. He goes on to say, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, he makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think the scripture says in vain or with no purpose, the spirit who dwells in you or dwells in us, he yearns jealously. Now what does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit, he said, come on back to me. Hang out, hang out with me. Break up with the world. God is jealous for you. you know one of the characteristics or the names of God? is He is a jealous God. God doesn't want to share us with the world. God doesn't want part of our hearts. He wants all of our heart. Verse number 6. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Now. The Amplified says he gives more grace to meet the evil tendency within each of us. He gives more grace to help us against the love affairs of the world, of life's problems and life's cares. But he gives more grace, therefore he said, God resists the proud. This is the only time God resists people. And you know what the proud is? The proud is ones who say, I'm not going to ask God for help. I don't need your help, God. I got this. And when I have that mentality of pride toward God, say, I don't need you, God. You have a, a, a cologne on, and it's called Leave Me Alone Cologne. I don't want anything to do with you. Evidently, there's some type of a smell that comes upon us when we walk in pride. So what happens when we get over in pride? We won't ask God for help. And before long, the things of our life don't become resolved And there becomes frustration. If you've got frustration in your life. It may just be because you're prideful. You won't find anywhere in the Bible that God resists the murderer. God resists the liar. But you will find that God resists the proud. ones that say, I don't need you God. But oh, watch the last part here, verse 6. But God gives grace to the humble. When I read that right there, I believe that was the key to King David's life. I believe he realized the reason I'm at where I'm at is because of the grace of God. Can you say that too? I welcome your grace, Father God. I need your grace. Same chapter, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What an invitation. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Repent. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what a double-minded is? It's a person that attempts to hold on to God and the world at the same time. Matthew 6. You can't serve two masters. You'll either live for God or you'll live for the world. Keep reading. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Part of humility, I believe with all my heart, is the willingness to come before God and ask him. Father God, I need you today. I need your help today. I need your wisdom today. Turn to the book of Titus. Chapter number 2, and you say, where's Titus? Just go back to your left, and you'll come to Hebrews. And then right before Hebrews, actually it's right after 2 Timothy. Titus chapter number 2. We're going to dig in here these last few minutes. And I want the Bible to teach us today the significance of grace in every one of our lives. Titus 2, verse number 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The same gift of salvation is offered to every man. His grace is still available. Now when you start that word and see the word for there, for the grace of God, that for introduces the basis of proper conduct. There's a huge connection between proper living and proper conduct. Proper believing is when I begin to trust God by faith. How do you get born again? You say, Lord Jesus, I, I ask you to come into my heart. What I found out now is the closer I get to God, the more I become Godlike. When you get in the Word, the Word will start rubbing off on you. I like to say it this way. You get into the, you get into the Word, God will get into you. Now, watch what he says here in verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, responsible manner, and being in self-control, righteously and godly in the presence of this age. He's telling me in here, we're saved by grace. But the way you overcome ungodliness, patterns of sin in your life... Is not through you, it's through the grace of God. So if you're dominated by sin, you begin to say, Father God, I welcome your grace here. Remember, it's an empowerment. How many of you have ever been dominated by any bad habits? Whether sinful or just habits of the flesh. When's the last time have you asked God's grace where you wake up and say, Father God, I ask you to grace me so I don't lie all day today. I need your grace today. See, again, that's part of the robe of humility. And he's telling us right here, the same way you get saved by grace is the same way that grace will operate in your life to help you. He goes on to say in verse 13 and 14, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify him for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. The prerequisite the, the pre-quest for godly living, it's the grace of God. We're saved by grace. He graces us for godly living. But he doesn't stop there. He graces you for zealous work. He wants you to stand out. He wants you to be noticed. In other words, he wants you to be the influencers of the places you work and where you go. In everyday life. We were out the other night in, in Rio dos, And man, all the restaurants had closed. And Shelly said, I'm hungry. We need to go somewhere. Well, every place we went, they were closed. And there was one little hole in the wall that was still open. And I said to her, I said... There's your choice, dear, right here. This is it. So we go walking in, and we're standing there looking at the menu, and all of a sudden, this big man comes out of nowhere, and he's got two menus in his hand, and he hands them and said, Here, look at the menu. It may help you. And I did this right here. I looked at him like, Who are you? Do you even work here? And Shelly turns and goes, Oh, my gosh. She recognized this guy. I didn't recognize him. This was a man that I'd worked with for 20 years at a utility company. This was a man that I was graced enough to uh, lead him to the Lord Jesus years ago. And he happened to be in there. And I've known the story of his life here that he, he rose to become the bigwig of that utility company... But about two or three years ago, he got slobbering drunk one night and got a DUI and he lost his job. He lost everything. And he couldn't even look at me hardly. He ducked his head and he said, I hardly go out in, in the town anymore because I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed because of my life. And he looked at me and he said, but I want you to know something. He said, I hadn't had a drink for 500 days. I said, man, give it up to me. He slapped my hands and he said, you would be proud of me. He said, I'm trying to serve God. I'm doing the things of God. And, and he he's a born again Catholic. And three times while we were in that restaurant, he said, would you bless me? Absolutely, I'll bless you. I'd lay my hands on him in the name of Jesus and I'd bless him. And I saw a man that was shamed because of sin. But the grace of God empowers me. The grace of God helps every one of us in this room. There's times in my life that I don't know what to do as a daddy, as a husband. I don't want to know what to do as a pastor. But God does. And am I humble enough to say, Father God, grace me. One last scripture. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Right back to your right. Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. You know, the the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament was the Apostle Paul. A man who said about his own life, I'm the chief sinner. I've sinned more than all of you. Again, it's not how we start, it's how we finish. But if we go back and look, starting in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the the Thessalonians, the Timothys, right into Titus and then Philemon. He was the writer of every one of those books. Don't do it right now, but I encourage you in homework, go to the last page of every one of those books, and he will say, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So this was a man who wrote at the church of Corinth, and he said, you got to have his grace. To the church of Philippi, you got to have his grace. To, to the church of Colossae, you got to have his grace. And to the church of Lubbock, you got to have his grace. Again, King David said, surely his goodness and his mercy or his grace will follow me all the days of my life. Uh, the man of God, the apostle Paul, said the same thing. Watch this in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. If you note there, there's only one great high priest Jesus. There's not A, B, C, D. Check one of the above. The only way the Father is through the Lord Jesus. The only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus. Hold on to the confession of your faith. Never forget that you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Because when you've made that confession, you're part of the family. And again, it's not by your good works or your bad works. It's by Jesus. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus walked this earth as a man. He never sinned, but he understands what we go through. He understands the temptations. Everything that many times we've yielded to. Now watch this here in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly. That word come boldly means without reservation. Jesus doesn't want us coming in here and coming boldly before him with our heads down. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You're right. You're not worthy off of what you did, but you're worthy because he's Lord of your life. He says, you come boldly. You come boldly where? To the throne room of grace. You march in like you own the place. Why? I'm a child of God. I welcome what Jesus did for me. You know, I'm 56 now. I had to think there for a minute. I know most of you thought I was in my early 40s, but I am 56. To this day, when I go to my mom's house, I come boldly into my mom's house. I mean, when I walk into my mom's house, I don't say, "Hey, mom, is it okay if I get in the refrigerator?" I don't ask. I mean, whatever's on the counter, my mom loves to cook, and but it's mine. You know what? I'm part of the family. See, this is what God says. You come boldly to the throne of grace. You come boldly to my presence. Because you know what he's saying? Jesus has already paid the price for everything you need. He did it. And we're just beneficiaries. I reap because of what Jesus did. So he says, come boldly into the throne room of grace. That we may obtain mercy. You know what mercy is for? My past. And that we may find grace. You know what grace is for now and the future? To help me in a time of need. So let me ask you right now. You got some trouble in your life? You got some need in your life? I don't think the Lord Jesus would have made it any clearer than this when he said, Come on. Come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly to the throne room of grace. That you may obtain mercy and find grace. See again, it becomes this that I surrender and say, All right, Lord. I'm coming today. I'm, I'm loading up on mercy and grace. I need your grace today as a man. I need your grace today as a daddy. I need your grace as a, I need your grace as a pastor. And I will tell you, those are part of my prayers every day. I ask God's grace when I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed. I want everything I can get. And see, for, for, for many years, most of you used to think, he's a pretty intelligent guy. Pastor Stormy, he's really pretty sharp. And Shelley was really, really, really lucky to marry him. He's really a pretty good guy. I'm joking, okay? But the point of this is the grace of God. It's the grace of God that King David became the man of God he was. It's the grace of God that Paul was able to become the the greatest disciple, in my opinion, of all times. And it's the grace of God for every one of us in this room. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit FaithChurchLubbock.com.